Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 55, and thank you very much for tuning in. I'm your host, Aaron Fifield, and this week on the podcast, I interview Nathan Michaud of Investors Underground. Nate has been a day trader since 2003, and the stories from his first few years in the game are enough to make your head spin. After experiencing major highs and lows, both financially and psychologically, which is all covered during the interview, he's gone from strength to strength playing small cap momentum stocks. Over the next 60 minutes, you'll learn about Nate's approach to fast-moving stocks, the additional risks linked with short selling, a smart way to scale up, the power of compounding, and heaps more. Full show notes can be found at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 55, and for educational material and ongoing support from the Investors Underground community, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash IU for a discounted rate. All right, team, enjoy the interview. You're listening to the Chat with Traders podcast, and here is my guest, Nathan Michaud. All right, Nate, so great to be speaking with you. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. How's it going? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. And Nate, we've had so many requests from traders listening who wanted to hear an interview with you, so I'm glad we could make this happen. And from what I hear, the last few weeks have been pretty chaotic for you. What's been going on? They have. I mean, we've been... Uh Ever since we uh, did the Vegas event for uh, Traders for a Cause, we came right back and then we got right into the swing of things. And we just did a uh, the first annual gala at um, Tuscan Kitchen in, in my hometown area. And uh, we did that with about 200 guests. We raised about $20,000. We presented a tech to Honor Flight in New England for $45,000. And uh, it turned out to be a, a really great success. But now I can finally relax a little bit and that's Kind of why we're doing an interview right now. Awesome. That's great, man. And Michelle Koenig, who I know is a good friend of yours, had plenty of great things to say about Trades for a Cause. She was on the podcast um, a few weeks back for episode 44. So that was a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll speak more about this later in the interview anyway, but let's get started. So Nathan, how did you get started trading? Tell us, where did everything kick off for you and what year was this? Uh, this was back my freshman year of college, and it was really about, at first I wanted to be potentially a broker. I, I had seen my uh, uncle, who was very successful, um, lived a pretty good life, and, and I was very interested in that, and everything that I knew came from, from him. It's, okay, stocks is where you need to be, so that must mean I need to be a broker. So uh, I started to focus towards the, the broker side of things. Is that something I want to do? And... Um, you know, I, I started to get this interest for stocks and uh, it was really just trial and error my freshman year back in 2003 and uh, I went out one night, came back, woke up late, 
I, uh, a, a stock had earnings that I had uh, bought, had no idea. I was up a couple hundred bucks and literally been addicted since that day. <laughs> sure. Okay. So you mentioned right there that your uncle had kind of inspired you in the early days uh, because he was also a stock trader. Did he help you out in any way? He was more of an investor. So, you know, I, I knew that he had done well in the stock market in general and not necessarily as, as a day trader. He actually now is more active uh, than he ever was, you know, trying to just make a, a couple bucks each day, just having fun uh, in his sort of semi-retirement. But um, it was more of a, here's what's possible. And, and, you know, there is something more than just that nine to five or working for somebody or doing something else for somebody else's dream. And with more of that entrepreneurial type spirit. Right. Okay. And when you first got started, what was it that would give you reason to buy or sell any particular stock? Like what sort of things were you looking for in the early stages? Uh, if you go way back to 2003, 2004, I mean, it was, it was so much different than it is now. I mean, it was all about the story and stocks would literally run. And keep in mind, I was trading OTCs back then. So you're talking about stocks that were 001, 005, and they would literally run to 20 cents, 50 cents. And they would just keep on going and going and going. But the only problem was is, sure, I had a couple grand, I put it in, I'd be up 10 grand. But I'd also keep on adding all the way down and down and down. I'd ride it all the way up, ride it all the way down, and I would not stop adding. So it was a lot easier back then to make, but unless you knew how to actually sell, then you weren't making any money. And that was sort of my case at first. Okay, yeah. And I'm actually really keen to ask you more about that too. Uh, but just before we do, were you juggling a full-time job as well as trading intraday at the same time? Um, and the reason I ask is because I know this is a difficulty for many people. Um, I'm interested to hear how you were able to pull it off. Uh, I, I would say the hardest part about what I did was kind of maintaining grades, I guess. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have a job at the time. Uh, it was obviously it was freshman year, sophomore year and, and throughout college, but it was more of a in-between classes type of gig for me. Um, and the only job that I did maintain through college is I was uh, working for a, a friend's software company, just answering support. Um, so it wasn't something that I need to report to. It wasn't something that I need to leave to go to. It was something that I was on my computer anyway, so I could keep an eye on stocks at the same time. Right. Okay. Yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. And your situation in some ways is kind of unique, um, because you know, you were still in college and you had a job, which you could do at the computer. Do you have any pointers for how others can better position themselves to juggle day trading while holding down a full-time job, say a typical nine to five? Uh, it's really, you have to not put yourself into volatile positions that you're going to need to monitor every single second. I, I see so many people that come in and they're like, yes, you know, I, I nailed this, I nailed this, I nailed that. And then they get involved in some, some type of big momentum stock that's running 100%. They either decide to long it and it drops 50% or they short it and it keeps on going. But it all happens when they're not watching it because they go back to work, they shut off their phone, they don't have internet. And that's where I see the people's biggest um, flaws are because they always want to be in the market and you just can't. So if you're a part-time trader, that's what you need to be. You need to have stops in place. You need to have a plan in place and you can't try to merge the two. Mm, okay. And while we're still focusing on the early stages of your journey, I have to ask you about your infamous motorcycle story. I know anyone who has watched your DVDs or read your chapter in Momo Traders is probably well familiar with this, but I think it's a great example of the roller coaster ride you experienced in the beginning. Yeah, well, it's it was very easy back then, as far as all you had to really do um, is, you know, in order to find big gains and whatnot, is we used to search filings just like people do nowadays, where you see people alert to a 13th D filing or some type of raise or whatever. They're very, very quick on Twitter. We used to do the same thing um, and just scanning just like they do today only for certain words, certain LLC names, certain things that appeared 
in every single promotion. And so what we would do is just search for those. As soon as you see that, all you need to do is watch for volume. When you start to see volume, you just jump in, you, you get long, and things would just go straight up. So you get used to this just buy and hold, and when things start to speed up and, and break out, that's when you sell. So there was no real reason to watch every single tick. Now, if you take a step back and you realize I'm here buying 25,000 shares, 50,000 shares of a, of a dollar or two dollar type stock and then scaling up along the way. Well, the whole motorcycle story, I had 100,000 shares of a stock that was around three bucks. And here I am 19 or 20 at the time. And you know, the fact that stocks are going up 10, 50, 10, 20, 30 cents on a day, pull back and I didn't have to worry about anything because it, it wasn't speeding up yet. It was just going to keep on going and now look, I'll sell at five or six wherever it starts to, to really break out. Well, I went, I, I got a call, it was May 5th, uh, Cinco de Mayo, and I said, listen, we're, we're having an event today and if you don't move your, your motorcycle, we're going to tow it. So here I am, I'm looking at my, my monitor and, and you know it's actually down 10 cents on the day, this RRPH, and no big deal because... You know, I hadn't sped up yet. I know, I know what to do. Just to, just hold it. There's no reason to sell. So I go out, move the motorcycle, coming back. I'm checking. This is back Palm Pilot days. I'm checking level two from Alpha Trade, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, no way. No, this this is wrong. No, hold on. And I keep going back, keep going back, and it's down fifty percent. It's down to a buck fifty. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So the whole moral of the motorcycle story is just let them tow it. And, uh, you know, that, that's pretty much what I learned that day is anytime it, it just shows you how far disconnected I got from reality where, you know, I'm, I'm in this stock that's going up each and every single day and I don't even care that it's, it's, it's down a couple, you know, 10, 20 cents. I don't even care to watch it. I don't have any real plan in place. And then when, you know, shit hits the fan, look what happens. <laughs> right. So. I'm not sure if you mentioned it there, but uh, I th believe you lost about $90,000 that day. And being only 19 or 20 years old, how did you deal with this loss? And I know now you've had losses far greater, but at the time, was it almost like hard to accept? Like it almost wasn't real? Uh, yeah, it was pretty much not real, uh, <laughs> to be completely honest. So I was down 150 uh, and then it rebounded and I actually top ticked the exit. I sold everything at the very top. So I was able to minimize to ninety thousand. Otherwise, it would have been about a buck fifty. But um, probably about ten minutes after I sold, uh, my my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, Laura, came to the uh, <laughs> to my dorm room. She's like, "Hey, how's it going? You ready to go to you know go to lunch?" I'm like, "Yep, yep, let's go. Yeah, I'm ready." She's like, "How's your day?" I'm like, "Yep, it's good." And uh, you know, it just did not hit me, and I just played it off as like, "Yep, yeah, no, I, I didn't just lose ninety thousand, the biggest loss ever," and uh, so that was that was really my day, and it, it really didn't hit until after like at night, and you're looking at your account, and you're just like, "Oh, this sucks." Yeah, I can imagine. And how did she react once she found out? Oh, she found out about nine years later. So, um, you know, I. I <laughs> I, I've I said this in the Momo Traders, the book that we put we just put out. But um, you know the, the thing about you know my trading and, and I guess my life and stuff is I don't really talk about it with anybody except my my trading buddies. Um, and the same thing is you know with with Laura and whatnot. So really, until we were ready to build our our house, um, and she started to kind of panic, like, listen, I I can't do this. Did uh, really the stories come out and she understand that actually I did make a decent amount of money in the market. Right. Okay. I imagine that would have been um, quite a shock. <laughs> so you talked about how uh, you were writing like these OTC promotions. Um, do you believe the same opportunities still exist in OTC markets today? Uh, absolutely not. Um, you know, there. It, the problem is, is now you have to there's that fear that it could halt. Um, there was a period of time where they would just halt everything. Every every other week there was another halt of a, of a certain promotion. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing because, look, there's other people on the other sides of the transactions, which you have to understand. 
for, for us as traders, we're like, this is awesome. It's going higher, it's going higher, it's going higher, and then it's going to be a great shorting opportunity. But yeah, you, you do have to understand that that great shorting opportunity is at the expense of all these other people that were duped into into buying. So overall, it's 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 a good thing, and I think it's really heated up the small caps and the Nasdaqs, which we've been able to take advantage of. Um, but it is so different now um, than it was back then, where you know you just have stocks that were going straight up, straight up, straight up. To now, we're lucky to have I, I could probably name two stocks in the last two or three weeks that have actually been noteworthy on the OTC exchange. Okay. And I've got to ask you, um, just on a bit of a side note, at some point you used your background in web design. I believe that you were doing websites before you even got into trading. Uh, You used that knowledge to start a site which was actually promoting some of these penny stocks. And I know that didn't end so well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what happened? Sure. Um, so, you know, just like you said, I, I had websites and, and I was very keen on, on making websites. And I also had a very big following. I was on Investors Hub, I was on Yahoo, I was on a bunch of other, um, you know, online mediums. And, you know, I had a, a, a following of some sort. And just like RRPH, where I was talking about, where I had lost a ton of money. Well, that started to have like a little ripple effect. And, you know, I try to make that, that RRPH money that $90,000 that I had lost. And then that turns into another 50 and then another 100 and so on and so forth. So long story short, I depleted probably about half of what I had made, which is damn near a, a half a million bucks. And I was in a position where I was like, how am I going to make this back? And so I was approached by somebody on iHub who knew that I had a, a following. And you don't really realize at the time, at 21, 20, 21 years old, whatever it was, you know, the responsibility that comes with a a following. So I was like, you know what, why not? I know how to make a website. I have a following. I can promote stocks. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem that I ran into is that I started to trade the stocks that I was actually promoting. And you can't do that. And uh, so anyway, long story short, severed ties with this particular kid. And, you know, I knew that I was going down the wrong path. Severed ties, two years later, I get a knock on the door and it's the SEC. So wasn't a good time, probably my lowest. And uh, I, I literally went to zero. I had a complete restart and bounced off those lows, but I ended up having to pay a fine because just like I said, you, you can't trade the names that you promote. And there's a fine line between that. You can promote, but you can't trade them. And uh, that was that, moved on, never looked back. Right, yeah. I mean, that must have taken like um, quite a blow, both, um, you know, financially and psychologically. I mean, I was literally looking to have maybe a party like, hey, I I just hit a million dollars. And then the next week, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I actually borrowed $500 from a friend of mine in Boston uh, the last month that I was there uh, when everything went down and that was rock bottom and it wasn't until about a year and a half later that I was actually about a year later that I was doing taxes at the end of the year and I looked and I had this this tax form and this interest um, that was adding up and I'm like what the heck is this and this is back when it was uh, like 5% interest and uh, so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I forgot about one of my accounts because I had about 10 accounts at the time. And uh, so that was the, the rebound. I found about $20,000, $25,000 in an account, and that was sort of where I, I rebuilt off of, off of zero. Okay, okay. And you said right there that you borrowed um, $500 from a friend. Uh, what did you borrow that money for? Rent. <laughs> my last month's rent. Okay. And did you ever consider that um, maybe trading wasn't what you wanted to continue doing at that point? Oh, absolutely. That, that There was about that uh, maybe two or three month span where I was looking up um, different, uh, different job opportunities, internships, things like that to kind of get involved in the, in the financial um, realm. But, you know, it's just once you've seen the other side it's very hard to go back. And so many people are fine with the cubicle life. So many people are fine with the nine to fives and they, they just go, they're happy, they get a paycheck, they're good to go. Um, but 
you know, once you've seen the other side, you're not going to settle for that. And, and that's really the, the, the problem that I had is it, nothing was ever going to be good enough. So you needed to go and, and figure it out, hustle, find out a way to make it work. And, and I did. Right. Yeah. I really like how you explain that as in the other side. I think that's a, that's a really good way to describe it. Just before we move into more about how you trade these days, to summarize for us, what were the major difficulties you experienced with your own trading over those first, you know, let's say five years? So the biggest difficulty that you're going to face is just trying to find that consistency, but also not being influenced by other people and not being uh, it's good to be inspired and in seeing other people's gains and, and things like that. But the key is really just focusing on yourself and then slowly but surely you're going to mold into the trader that you need to be. And the problem is, especially in my first few years is, you know, you want to be that guy that you just saw make a hundred grand. You want to be the guy that you know that makes a million dollars a year, but you don't really understand what comes along with that. So really the first couple of years is about identifying what works for you? Are you are you better at, at just going long? Are you better shorter? Are you not a good J trader, but you're actually a good swing trader? Are you better at options? And what is it that you're good at? My my strategy is not going to be good for everybody. Swing trading is not going to be good at for everybody. But there is a way that you can mold all these different strategies together to develop who you are as a trader in general. And I think mm -hmm. the key. And I'm still learning today, I'm still changing today, but the key is really to never stop learning and to always you know, learn from others. And you know, I, every single day I look to see what I could have done better. And it's not necessarily the, the losses that really upset me, it's really the, I should have stopped out at this price. I knew it, I thought about it, but I still didn't do it for whatever reason. So any stubbornness and things like that really sticks with me. But First five years, I mean, really the first year, do you get it? Do you, do you understand it? And if you do, you're gonna still be around the second year. And then the second year, okay, do you make money at it? Okay, well, where do you make money at it? Third year, take those things where you make money at it and focus on just that. Be the best person you can at those areas and then start to focus on other areas. But the key is really giving yourself the best chance, which a lot of people don't understand, and that best chance means putting away enough cash so that you don't need to make on a daily basis so that you can just trade what you see. And if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Wait for the next day. For sure. That's a really great answer. Now, I'd like to speak more about um, or hear more about how you trade today. So imagine myself and everyone listening has no idea how you trade uh, we don't know what markets you trade and what time frames you're working with. How would you describe your trading approach? My trading approach is pretty much focused on momentum. All I care about is stocks that have range, meaning something that might be two or three bucks, but it's trading up 20 or 30% today. It's up 30, there's 50 to a dollar on the day. Something that has an abnormal range and abnormal volume. And so that's the first thing that I look for. Um, each night we, stock, we scan for stocks that are overextended, meaning stocks that have ran continuously for multiple days but have yet to have a real pullback. So dealing with that, you're dealing with momentum stocks that are breaking out and I'm primarily a short seller. So I'm looking for those stocks that have really overextended, really broken out, but have yet to pull back. I'm looking to take advantage and join the downside when people first think about taking profits. So something that's going up, 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 there's no reason for people to sell, but that first point where it starts to crack, that's when everybody starts to take their profits. And if you think about it, it's usually a very, very quick snap. And it goes all the way back to college when I used to trade in between classes, and that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for that five to 20 minute type of trade that you can anticipate, capture it, the next trade. Okay, so on a typical day, how many trades are you managing? Just to give us a bit more of an idea about your style. Uh, for me, less is really more. 
is what I found out. But given how the market has been in the last six to really the past year, it's it's very hard to minimize the opportunities. There's just so many. So uh, for me, my ideal day is only about three to five names. But there are days that I'll be up there with 10 to 12 different names that I've traded even more sometimes. But really, the focus is taking everything that you've prepared for the night before, you know, stocks that are on scan. Okay, what's what's working? What in the morning you wake up, you see it, okay, it's doing exactly what you thought. Minimize that list of 12 stocks down to three. Add a couple from the morning moves, like news that has come out or whatever, but focus on those five, six names, and then it's all about minimizing. Minimizing what you're watching, minimizing the opportunities, and then maximizing out of those opportunities. So uh, really, a typical day for me is probably six to eight names overall on average, I would say. Okay. And then generally speaking, uh, do those opportunities come for you uh, mostly within the first couple of hours of the day or are you watching pretty intensively throughout like the entire day? So I recently downloaded a trading journal program and uh, it actually told me that I make all of my money between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. I lose money between 11 a.m. and noon I make a little bit between 3 and 4 p.m. So to answer you, most of my money is made from a little bit pre-market right up until 11 a.m. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. And I'd just like to pick up on something you said um, a couple answers ago about how you naturally gravitate to the short side. What is it that attracts you to having a preference of shorting stocks rather than going long and has this ever caused you any grief by like kind of enforcing like a bias onto the market? Uh, you know, I, I, I just feel more comfortable on the short side. I find that I can find tops better. I find that I'm more comfortable uh, on the short side and trading is all about being confident and comfortable and if you're not confident and comfortable in the trade then you're going to be clicking all kinds of buttons you're going to be out before the trade even happens so um i do actually i've i've longed more this year than i probably ever have uh in the past but i i always towards i always tend to gravitate towards that short side and it's just because that's where i i feel confident with it and it's not necessarily a, a bias because one thing I try never to do is get too biased. And, and in fact, when people are short in the room or Twitter or, or wherever I'm, I'm looking and, and people are you know, very, very biased, a lot of times I'll end up closing my position just because I, I get, it kind of drives me away from the trade. I always try to just trade what I see without any major bias. I have a plan, I have a stop in mind, and that's that. No, never it's short it has to go down it doesn't make sense to be up here because i find that most of the people that lose a lot of money form such strong biases this company's a piece of junk they just raised they have to raise more money in order for this whatever pharmaceutical drug to go through and all this kind of stuff that that reaffirms that short is the right trade but yet it continues to go up and then they end up getting smoked so I always try to have a very small bias and just really stick to a, a general plan. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's well said. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You also mentioned there uh, Twitter. How do you use Twitter? Um, like, do you find that this gives you any small advantage uh, in your trading? Twitter's the best. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's an instant Google. I mean, Google does, obviously you can't type in Google and see what you can see on Twitter. So, I mean, there's there's no better place than to type in a ticker. Why, why did it just move? Boom, type it in. Okay, oh, the, oh, there was an upgrade. And, you know, there's a lot of great people that, that have great alerts and you, you really need to set up your Twitter to work for you. So, all right, does this person typically move the market on stocks? Take, for example, hit pieces, hit piece writers. Well, you might as well be watching those because as soon as they alert something, you're going to have a trade. Uh, same thing with other people that might follow bio stocks, pharmaceuticals, decisions, things like that. You want to be watching those because they're going to have it instantly. There's no better place on the internet to get instant, instant information. And the only other thing that I like to use Twitter for is what is the general sense on the name? Is everybody short and it keeps on going up? And if that's the case, then you know that it's likely a crowded short. And the only thing that's going to happen on a crowded short is when it starts to go, it starts to squeeze it's going to break out hard. And the same thing with a long. If everybody's trying to defend a stock, hey, this shouldn't be going down. The news was actually good. It keeps on going down, down, down. Well, to me, that means I need to wait for a big washout. I need to wait for all these people that are perma bulls to go ahead and just bail, and then there's gonna be an opportunity. Okay, so this is probably a good point for me to ask you about the type of markets that you trade um, I, from, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that you like to trade a lot of thinly traded um, low float or low cap stocks. What is it that really attracts you to these over your higher priced blue chips? Small cap stocks, not thinly traded stocks. You won't see me trade very many thinly traded stocks unless it's something that has ran up like two bucks to 15 bucks or something like that. But for me, it's all about volume. I hate thinly traded names. I hate seeing people trade stuff with 50,000 to 100,000 volume and you know, you buy it, you sit, you sit there and watch the volume. It's not real trading. What I like to do is trade stuff that's got a couple million, 10 million, 20 million, 50 million shares traded and even stuff like uh, SUNE today that had 100 million shares. It's things that are trading volume that is abnormal to what it typically does. And then with that, with the range comes an edge. Okay. And are there any precautions that you might have for less experienced traders when interacting uh, with these low cap stocks, um, you know, that, that do put in these big ranges? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing is recently in the past maybe year, the ease of borrows has become a lot better for people. People have the ability to borrow names that they typically wouldn't and they don't really understand what borrowing short what shorting a stock it really is and how much you can actually lose. They look at a stock and they have this like preconceived notion that hey, a stock is up 30%, it has to go down, but most of the time, especially in this market, these 30-40% runners end up running 100 or 120%. And the biggest thing is with a long, the most you can lose is 100%, and then with a short, the amount that you can lose is unlimited. So they don't really understand what they're about to get into, and just because a stock is easy to borrow does not mean that it's a good short. So that's the, really the biggest thing for new traders to understand is one, short selling is not that easy, and number two, when you're dealing with a stock with huge, huge range, you need to really be careful about the position size that you're trading because it's not like a typical Microsoft type stock where you go long 
it moves seven cents, and if you're wrong, you get out for seven cents loss. It's these things move seventy cents or seven dollars. You know, just for example, go back a week and a half. ATV ran from two bucks to four bucks to six bucks, all the way up to almost twenty-two bucks a share, all in one afternoon. Think about being on the opposite side of that. It's not a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely isn't. Um, so, Nate, can you share with us one of your favorite setups that you like to trade or a particular event that you like to trade around? Uh, absolutely. So, there's, I, I guess, a long side and a, and a um, short side is probably the best. So, for the long side, I call it ABCD. And basically, I'm looking for a pullback. Basically, a stock has ran up, it's pulled back, it's put in a higher base. And once it starts to grind up off that base, I'm going to start to buy the dips with a risk based off the prior lows. And that way it gives me an opportunity to have a set risk versus a potential reward of going back up towards the highs and potentially breaking out. Because what I look for typically is something risking one and make three, three to, three to one type of uh, reward to risk ratio. And on the short side, besides like parabolics, which I really haven't traded too much of uh, recently, it's it's more of the failed follow through momentum. And so you come to the market, there's a, a stock that's moved quite a bit and it had pulled back the day prior. That next morning, I want it to retest whatever resistance it had the prior day. And if it starts to fail, I'm gonna go ahead and short based off that resistance and then look for that failed follow-through momentum and it ends up fading off and washing out. Okay, awesome. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Before the market opens, how are you preparing for the day, either pre-market or the night before? Um, you've kind of touched on this, but I'd really like to dig into this a little bit deeper. Um, so yeah, share with us how you're preparing for each trading session. So each night I do a scan. So I'm looking for stocks that are actively breaking out, but not just one day. I'm looking for stocks that are up, 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 up each day for three, four, five, even 10 consecutive days, but have yet to pull back. And the reason for that is because like I said earlier, that first moment that people see a reason to take profits, that's when things are going to start to pull back. And, and that's exactly where I look to take advantage of that move. So I'm looking for stocks like that. I'm also looking for stocks that have been extremely beat, things that have been pulling down, down, down. For example, this week, a stock that was 24, went down to 22, 18, 17, 16, it hit 14 this morning and it rebounded all the way up to 17. I'm looking for a reactive trade out of the open by the washout for the reversal all based off emotion. Everything that I do is essentially based off of emotions. Reacting to where people might be panicking on the short side and they start to cover, I wanna be shorting. Reacting to people where they're on the long side and they're bailing, I wanna be buying in that, in that act of panic. So th that's really what I'm preparing for uh, at night. And then in the morning, really the key is to just come to your computer kinda early, 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., get a feel for, okay, what else is moving? So you've got your scan of 10 to 12 stocks, all right? Three of them are doing exactly what you thought. Those are your main watches. They've got some volume, good. What else is moving? Okay, three, four other good ones. Minimize it to two. Now you have your main watch list of five or six names out of the gate. Usually, I try to get my first two. I have four different screens, but I put on my center screen the two that I'm most likely to trade that are the reactive style setup, something that is going to cause me to have to react. So if it spikes out of the gate, I know that that's something that I wanted to short. If it washes out of the gate, I know that that's something that I wanted to long. So those are the center watches for me. Everything else is a secondary watch. And after that, I sort of focus, I wait for trades to set up, I settle down, I'm patient for entries. Okay, so you said there that you're looking for stocks, um, usually the evening beforehand. How are you looking for those stocks? Are you running scans or are you visually sort of flicking through charts? 
Uh, I run scans every single night and for both the breakouts and, and things that are, are pretty much breaking down. And then I go back through my scans from prior nights. Okay, so I was looking at this on Tuesday and it didn't break out yet. So I might put it back on scan. Then go back another week. All right, well, this one didn't break out this day. So it's still kind of consolidating. It looks like it actually might break out again. And then I pull it off that scan and put it on, on, on the new one. So it's an act of continually looking through, just like you said, flicking through charts. And there is no bad thing about flicking through too many charts because whether you realize it or not, you're putting that visual idea in your head. So even if it's not a plan for the day at all, and then all of a sudden you see it on Twitter, you see it in the chat room, you see it you know, reacting, you already have a picture of that chart in your mind from the night before. So it's always good to stay familiar with as many charts as you can. Okay, excellent. That's a, that's a great answer. And you also touched on the fact that you're trading emotion a lot of the time. Um, and that's sort of what you're looking for. Do you factor in or does that fundamentals and news slash PR have any impact on your trading also? Uh, it does to an extent, but not as you would think. I mean, one thing I always say is surround yourself with successful people and it's bound to you know, rub off on you. And I surround myself with some great guys that are great fundamental traders, are great bio traders, you know, pharmaceutical type traders. And so I can get the answers that I need. For example, you know, a, a pharmaceutical had good news, but it's it's pulling back and, and or pharmaceutical had uh, good news, but it's down 50% because one of their trials failed. But if you know through these different resources that, hey, they still have three other things in the pipeline, well, then it's a potential bounce play. But if it has nothing else in the pipeline, then I'm not going to trade it. So it's really about surrounding yourself with the resources that are going to be able to help you answer those questions. But for me, it's mostly being aware of fundamental events, what I need to be aware of, but it really comes down to just trading, just technical breakouts, breakdowns, and trading what I see. Got it. Okay, cool, cool. So I'd like to ask you about scaling up. This is a topic that you'd mentioned to me prior to the call that had presented a number of challenges for you this year. So share with us what have you learned from scaling up and in hindsight, what's the best way you could have approached this? Uh, scaling up this year was so, definitely something that I wanted to uh, do. Many of you guys know Greg LX21 um, on, on Twitter, but you know he had done an interview with uh, Cam at one point and uh, he had mentioned that you know he didn't understand why I always wired out. And you know, I, I thought about it for quite some time and, and there was a reason why I always wired out because I got sloppy every single time that I, I got into a couple hundred thousand dollars in my account, I'd start doing stupid things. I'd start to get lazy. I'd start to let losers run just because, you know what, hey, it's it's not that much it's compared to the entire account and it, it just wasn't good. So I'd always wire out to, to re, just re-ground myself and, and kind of get back into the swing of things and do it again, wire out, do it again, wire out. And it did strike a chord with me, not in a bad way, in a, in a good way, kind of like a kick in the ass, like, hey, why am I wiring out? Why don't I focus on scaling up, focus on actually having more money in the account, but doing the right thing? Because at some point you need to get past that. You know, if you're only gonna keep a, a little bit of money in the account, just because you don't have the ability to control yourself with more money, well, that's a problem. So I was doing really, really well uh, January, February, March, April, and then mid-May, June, July, I absolutely got destroyed. And, you know, it was really, I was start, starting to scale up. I was trying to figure out how to make this work. And a lot of times when you start to scale up, you think, well, hey, you know what, instead of 5K, I'm just gonna buy 10K. Instead of 10K, I'm just gonna buy 20K. But it's not like that. And and the problem is, and a lot of people will find this out, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, hey, I'm gonna scale up, yeah, I'm just gonna double everything I do. That's not the way to go about it. And I learned that the hard way because I hit a wall a couple times. Um, Genie, G-E-N-E, -E, was one of the first ones that I scaled up on. 
And I said, you know what? It's fine. I got 20, 25,000 shares short overnight. I'll go ahead and hold it. Woke up to a $50,000 loss. And, you know, it was a battle of going back and forth with myself. Like, hey, is this, is this $50,000 loss something that I need to freak out about and take? Or is it just part of me scaling up? And it was just continually going back and forth, back and forth. So what I've learned is it's not about just doubling your size. It's about scaling in and you start in and you'd be surprised about how small I actually start in on my first entries. It's no different than I normally ever would. But the secret is really just scaling in and adding to that winner, pretending that you're not in the stock yet. And I've done this a million times on webinars and explaining it. And the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. So rather than adding to that winner just to add it. So you got short, you got a good position, and so you're just gonna start adding, 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 adding because you're up. Well, pretend that you're not up yet. Where would you, pretend that you're not in the position yet. Where would you short? Would you short here? No. Okay, so wait for it to be at a position where you would actually short and then add because that's gonna take the emotions out of it and it's gonna allow you to let that trade work. And I think that's been the biggest thing that has helped me because even on the long side, you get long uh, on a particular name and okay, boom, you nail it. It goes up 20 cents, 30 cents. You're like, sweet, I'm up two grand. Normally I would take it here, but hey, I'm, I'm scaling up. So instead of just drilling the offer and continuing to add, because you don't realize how fast being up two grand, then you add, 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 and all of a sudden it pulls back, you're back to flat. You don't realize how fast that can happen. So the key is, would you have chased that 30 cent move? Probably not. So pretend that you're not in yet, wait for the pullback, starts to consolidate, it looks like a long entry, then add. And that's been really the key to my success since July, August, September, October, November, like the last six months I would say. And I've been fine tuning that and realizing that it's not just doubling the size. Okay, so two things. When you say wire out like you did at the beginning of your response there, you're referring to taking profits out of your trading account? Correct. I used to always just keep it under 100000 and every time I rip through it, I take out 20, 30, 40, whatever it ended up being and then wire back down just to keep myself from doing anything stupid. Okay. And the other thing I'd like to ask in regards to your response there is when would be a good time for other traders to consider scaling up? Like when, at what point should they be in their sort of trading career, so to say, would be a good point for them to consider scaling up? I think it's most important to do it after you find some sort of consistency. The real reason why I scaled up is because I realized that I wasn't making the most out of my talent. I don't want to have regrets that I could have done something that somebody else did. I, I could have done that. I, I should have done that and, and been upset that, hey, I just took the easy way out every single time and, and the safe way out. So the problem is, like you just said, new traders, I mean, everybody wants to turn two grand into a million bucks tomorrow. And that's a real problem because that's not the way that it works. So the key is really about focusing and finding consistency and then slowly scale up from there. If you try to scale up on day one, it's it you're gonna implode, you're gonna blow up, and your trading career is gonna be over. Yeah, okay. Now that's that's great advice. And I'd like to do, you know, dive into a little bit more advice for other traders now. So you have a very active community. While there's a number of outstanding traders in there, there is also many less experienced and newer traders. From what you've observed, what are common issues they run into? Uh, I think that a lot of people um, are, they, they look at what people make, they look at what people do, and they're influenced rather than inspired. So I think the real key is to be inspired by what you see, but if you find it influencing what you do, if you find it influencing your trades, then you're gonna run into issues. You always, you need to remember where you came from, you need to remember where you're at. And one example that I, I always use is, you know, people fixate on, I'll go back to Greg for example, some one time where he made $450,000 on a trade. 
and they look at that and they say, you know what, I want to be like him. But they skipped over the fact that they that prior trade he lost $180,000 to get there. And so I always ask people, especially when they're trying to start out, scale up, or, or just kind of think in general, well, what what's your goal? Well, I just want to make $1,000 a day. Okay, are you okay with losing $300 a day? Because I always look for that three to one sort of reward to risk ratio. So if people aren't okay with the downside, then their goals are misaligned. And I think it's it's most important for people to find out what they're good at and focus there. Don't try to do everything. One big problem that new traders have is they feel like they have to be in a trade at every single minute. And you know, you just get out of stock and then somebody mentions something, they tweet something, whatever, some news comes out, all of a sudden they're back in a stock, they don't even have a plan on it. So the real key is just to be patient, let trades come to you, and doing less is more. And that interview Cam did with um, Greg, LX21, is an awesome interview. I'll actually link to that in the show notes. So I definitely encourage uh, anyone listening to this interview to also check that out. What do you think is one of the greatest misconceptions about traders? Maybe not even misconceptions amongst complete beginners, but misconceptions from those who have been in the game for a couple years who still lack consistency and are not yet profitable traders. Uh, I think that just a general conversation for these people sometimes is the answer. The, the, you know, I've talked to people that have been in the game you know, a year, two years, three years, and, and just having a conversation with the person, listen, I do this, but I, you know, I, I'm tra- training so well for a month, and then I just gave all my gains back on one day. And just having that one conversation, well, what, what can you get from that? You just gave your gains back from all in one day. Well, how much did you lose? Well, I lost $10,000. I made I made $700 on average every single day for the month, and then I just lost $10,000. Okay, well, what would happen if you had a max loss set at $500 or $1,000? Would you have $9,000 more today? Yes. Okay, well, that's one place to start. And a lot of times, it's just really about uh, having a, a, a not necessarily a full community, but just having a, a trading buddy to bounce ideas off. And a lot of times you'll find that the answers are, are right there in a, in a simple conversation. Mm-hmm. So you find that a lot of people perhaps overcomplicate things? Pretty much. I mean, it, it, it's people underestimate the power of taking losses. I mean, it, it's so easy to get stubborn. You don't want to be wrong, but if you actually have ever been on, on a hot streak, and even if it's a couple hundred dollars a day, if you refresh that account, it's amazing how fast that adds up. And people underestimate the, the power of compounding, the power of, of just having you know a couple hundred dollars a day, a couple thousand dollars, whatever it may be, whatever, whatever level that you're at, people underestimate just how fast gains add up because they always let a, a loser or two kind of bring them back to, to the medium. I've had those many of those problems and throughout the past. I can I, I still deal with it today. I, I it's always that you you don't want to take it off, but you know you should. And I, I can tell you that more often than not, when I take it off and I do the right thing, even if I'm upset because I missed out, for example today on Lulu, I was short, I was up enough, really nice, I missed the cover. I went down again on it and then it came back to about even. I was excited about it. I went ahead and sized right down and then I did exactly what I was expecting, but I wasn't upset because I did the right thing. I missed out on a huge gain, but what if, what if I didn't cover, what if it kept on going? And that's kind of the way that you need to, to look at things and it's all about minimizing those what if type days because those what if days are what sets apart great traders from good or losing traders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is probably going to tie neatly into my next question, which um, is in regards to one of your, I guess, uh, mottos, if you will, that you trade by, which I'd love for you to expand on. Um, and that is nail and bail, don't stay and pray. How does this tie in with your trading? Well, I mean, this is really the, the kind of the momentum 
type of trading and and a lot of people will take shorts on these big names or they will get long on these stocks that are tanking and the idea is going to be to get in and get out but then they try to make something more of it and that's just not the way to do it and especially when you're trading stocks that have crazy range uh, that, like I said earlier, the 30% gainers that turn into 100 or 120% type gainers. And, you know, it, it's, it's a situation where you need to really focus on just nailing that trade, moving on. Focus on the next one. Nail it, move on. And not necessarily nail it and make money every single time, but nail it. If it doesn't work, bail. Get out. And the problem is, is sometimes when it doesn't work, people stick around because they just want to quote unquote, see what it'll do. And that see what it'll do turns into many times account breakers. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, Nate, well, let me ask you one last question and then we'll speak a little bit about traders for a cause. I'm keen to hear a little bit more about that and also investors underground. Um, so before we do that, what's one area of your trading you'd like to work on or improve moving forward in 2016? Uh, the biggest thing is probably that, that balance of getting away from the screens. And I mean, I've been working on it for years, but I've actually been doing pretty good about it the last couple months. But um, it's, it's a totally different story when you're at highs and, and it's so much easier to trade when you're near your account highs because you're not chasing anything you're not trying to get back and you're actually just able to wait for the trades and, and and let things happen and and with that comes a lot less not necessarily stress but a lot less um the field that you need to be there that that if you're not there you're potentially missing something that could bring you back up to your highs and and whatever so the key is is really just trading well never Try to minimize the drawdowns that you have so that you are able to actually enjoy life at the same time. Because if you ever notice, when we have those days off, the days are so long and you don't realize how long you're actually in front of the, the, the computers. And, and it's, it's nice to be able to break up that day and have that work-life balance, especially if you have a wife, a girlfriend or, or whatever. You need to have that type of, of, of balance. Otherwise, you know, you could lose it. Yeah, that's that's a really solid point. And I mean, you know, getting that, that balance right is always a constant struggle. But I mean, it's something that I think pretty much we all need to continually strive for. So yeah, great points. Now, Nate, I'm keen to hear a little bit more about Traders for a Cause. So tell us how, how it came about and what motivated you to start. You know, it was an idea one year that I had come up with just sort of sitting behind my monitors and I'm like, hey, it's just being my monitors. Wouldn't it be nice to, you know, have some type of other impact uh, in, in the world? And uh, you know, I had approached uh, my, my friend Scott Herman, who runs Centerpoint, and um, I, I just thrown out, threw out the idea to him. And I said, you know, imagine if one week or one month we just switched our, our logos to pink and we... We raised money for breast cancer one year, something like that. Just, just throwing it out there, and he just kind of stops and he's like, "Nate, you, are you, are you, you serious? Do you, do you, do you know anything about me, my past, or, or anything?" And, and long story short, is, is his wife had had breast cancer, and I had no idea, and uh, so it really struck a chord with him. He was, he was like, "Listen, Nate, I'm, I'm, I'm in." And you know, I'll double whatever you know we raise, and that was kind of like how it was, how it was first born, and um, so we we came up with that idea. We did we did one little small fundraiser the first year, as we were becoming a five hundred one three C charity, and um, the next the, the next year we ended up doing a a Vegas conference. We had about one hundred and thirty five or so attendees there. Um, and uh, we raised about a hundred thousand our first year, and then last year we had one hundred and seventy-seven uh, attendees, and we raised about one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. So the it's really about the way that I explain it to people is we're in a business of where we're in a business where people like to brag about how much they make. Why not brag about how much you donate? 
And you know, it's really a, a great excuse for people to get together that you have these online relationships with, meet them, and, and, and shake a hand, and people that you work with literally every single day, but it's just a digital relationship. But when you meet them, you're actually doing something good for other people. So that's kind of how it was created, and it, it's worked out great so far. And uh, it's, it's been a really uh, a great year, especially for us. We've raised over $200,000 just this year alone. Yeah, that's really awesome. And what big plans have you got for 2016? Is there anything in the pipeline? It looks like uh, October of 2016, yet again, we'll probably do the golf tournament and the Vegas uh, get-together once again. Um, and hopefully we, we push over 200 attendees. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Can you let us in on any of the uh, speakers you've got lined up for the event, or is it still early stages? Uh, we have talked about um I've, i told greg that he needs to speak again um and uh, i think he's gonna uh i talked to uh d4 trade online uh and he, i think he's committed and uh, i'm working on craig trader who is an exceptional uh fundamental trader once again like i said earlier you know surround yourself with people that have you know greater strengths than you and and he's definitely a much better fundamental trader than i am um, so he brings in a, uh, an interesting uh, approach there. Uh, I'll probably speak next year and uh, I don't know who else yet. Awesome. I'm sure it'll be a great event uh, regardless. Now, tell us a little bit about Investors Underground. How are you helping traders to improve and what products and services have you got readily available? Uh, well, what our site is really about is understanding sort of the why. It's not about joining and being told, hey, buy now, sell now, or getting an alert in your email box or a text message or anything like that where it's really a rush to the entry in order to get a, a good entry and a rush to the exit when um, somebody exits. It's, it's really about, okay, here's this setup. Here's what I would look for. Here's what I would risk on and understanding what makes it a good trade. And that's sort of the way that we've built the community and, and we all sort of trade the same way and it's really focused on just having good information, good alerts, good traders and, and just really comes back to that timely information. So that's the chat portion. Uh, and then the, as far as the products and services, I mean the products, it's, it's all educational based. So we have two different DVDs, they're streaming educational courses. Uh, and one is just your basic entry level, goes through all the terminology, all the setups, uh, long, shorts, uh, sort of pitfalls, things that you're going to run into and, you know, everything that, every mistake that I made. And, you know, if you can prevent them, I'm not saying you're not going to lose at all, but what I'm saying is if you can prevent those roadblocks that you're about to hit by learning about them ahead of time, at least you're gonna give yourself that much better of a chance. Uh, and then we had Tandem Trader, which is the second one, which is literally a, a recording of my screen as I'm making trades and dissecting what, who, when, where, why uh, of each and every single one of those trades. Drawing on it, showing why, what I saw, uh, and really understanding, not necessarily, hey, this is what the trade did after the fact, but actually seeing it in real time. So that was really the, the, the biggest part about Tandem Trader, which was our, our best uh, DVD to date. Um, and then you take it a step further with having the, the service with the webinars and, and just ability to interact with um, all these great traders. And it's not just one person. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about a community of, of people that are there every single day uh, that are, are looking towards that one goal of, of, you know, finding profit. Yeah, that's really great. And I mean, you guys have definitely had a really good response to the material you've put out and, um, you know, you've got a very active community. So it's cool to see you've been able to put that together in a, in a really impressive way. And guys listening, if you want to find out more about, you know, Nate and Investors Underground and their products and services they have available, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash IU. That's the letter I and letter U, obviously abbreviation for um, Investors Underground. So chatwithtraders.com forward slash IU. 
And for full transparency, that is an affiliate link. So if you do decide to sign up um, or subscribe to any of their services, I will receive a small kickback, but the price will not be inflated in order for me to be compensated. In fact, the I believe the prices on that page actually quite discounted and heavily reduced um, from what you'd normally find online. So uh, yeah, definitely check that out. And Nate, you're going to have to introduce me to some of the other great traders you've got in your community because it would be really awesome to set up an interview with some of these guys. Absolutely. I mean, we've got so many different guys in the room that I know that you can get uh, a, a ton of different, uh, you know, different ways of, of trading in life. And, and I mean, th that's really the first thing if you look at Momo Traders, the, the book that we just came out with, you've got Phil. Phil is one of the guys that just comes in in the morning makes his trades, he leaves, he goes to the lake for the day. I'm, I'm jealous of his lifestyle. But uh, then you got Eric who has molded into this great swing trader. You've got Greg who is just a, a, an amazing trader. You've got Michelle who's a swing trader which you interviewed last time. So, I mean, there's just so many great, uh, great traders, great uh, things that you can learn. Like I've said all along, you should never stop learning because you're always gonna continually mold into a new trader. The second that you stop, you know, that, that's when you lose your, your edge. Absolutely, you got to continue evolving. All right, so to wrap this up, uh, chatwithtraders.com forward slash IU, you can find out more about Investors Underground and learn more about Nate there. Uh, what's the website for Traders for a Cause? Traders for, which is the number for, a cause.org. Okay, and your Twitter handle is? Investors Live. Awesome. All right, well, all those links and a full recap on this episode can be found at chatwithtraders.com. So, Everything will be there all in one place. Um, Nate, thank you so much for doing this. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to set this up. Take care and enjoy your evening. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.